Welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers and the movie makers uh, of film and television, directors, writers, composers, production designers, costumers, you name it, we talk to them. Sometimes in, in exclusive pre-recorded interviews and most of the time with live live call-ins or in-studio guests. Um, but if you need more than what you get on Behind the Lens, you can find my full movie reviews and interviews on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Plus, in print and online 24-7 in the U.S. and abroad. And again, I just want to say welcome, welcome to our international audience. Um, I love our international audience. It just amazes me uh, that we have such a great international following. Italy, Poland, Moscow, uh, the U.K. It's fabulous. And, of course, right here in the United States. Uh, But... It is always a joy to educate, enlighten, and entertain when it comes to how film and TV uh, productions, how they take place, what goes into making a movie, what goes into making a show, considerations that composers have for instrumentations. Uh, it's, It's all a very collaborative effort, which is something you'll hear a lot of our filmmaker guests say all the time. It's all about collaboration. Of course, then you have some that try and do everything themselves, and of course it's reflected in the end product, but we won't go there. Uh, Sad day today uh, for all the classic film fans. We just lost um, a beloved, beloved Hollywood icon, Peter Fonda, on Friday. Uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with Peter on several occasions, did a very lengthy interview with him back in 2017 for his appearance in The Ballad of Lefty Brown along with Bill Pullman, Tommy Flanagan, Jim Caviezel, written and directed by Jared Moshe. Um, A true, true Hollywood stalwart. Uh, It's uh, the Fondas, we all know them, Henry, Jane, Peter, Bridget. Uh, But very, very sad, sad day. And what I actually did, uh, and thank you to all my classic film fans who are already responding, put together a small slideshow of... The, my 2017 interview with photos from 2013 from, of Peter and Jane when Jane got her hand and footprints at the Chinese Theater. And that is actually up on the Behind the Lens YouTube channel right now, uh, if anybody wants to take a look and a listen to that. But we go from old Hollywood to remembering old Hollywood to new Hollywood today. You're going to get to hear two exclusive interviews right now uh, that I had within the past couple weeks. Ah, my arms don't stretch. Uh, with two incredible young talents, Emma Nelson and Anna Panowski. Emma currently goes toe-to-toe opposite Kate Blanchett in Where'd You Go, Bernadette? While Anna is essentially a two-hander, written and directed by Casey Affleck, starring Casey Affleck with Anna, Light of My Life. Both films, fabulous films, totally different tones. Each actress exercises different different emotional, emotional muscles. Both girls are going to be here for a long time to come. Uh, their performances are simply outstanding. 
and then at the midpoint of the show, we have writer-director Sam Zalutsky calling in to talk about his new film, uh, slow, uh, slow Pot Boiler called uh, Slow Burning Pot Boiler called Seaside. But right now, we're going to take a listen to my exclusive with Emma Nelson. One of the great, Emma is just, she's an absolute joy. Uh, she's in school. This is her first feature film. Uh, and here she is going toe to toe with Kate Blanchett, Billy Crudup, Kristen Wiig, and written and directed by Richard Linklater. And the film, it's hilarious, but there's also a serious uh, seriousness to it, to what under the underscore of the humor that the film brings out. Kate Blanchett is Bernadette, and she disappears from her loving family one day. She's an overachiever. She's in hyperdrive. She's also bored. She's also medicates herself with medication stronger than horse tranquilizers. There is a lot of humor that comes from her. I don't give a crap attitude. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch, but the real heart of the film comes from Emma Nelson and her her chemistry with Kate Blanchett. Uh, it's an incredible performance. It's a great film. It's a fun film, and it it looks fabulous. And they shot it actually up off the coast of Greenland and in Green and on the coast of Greenland. Uh, representing Antarctica in the film. And you're going to hear Emma talk about how much fun and how cold that was. So let's take a listen to Emma Nelson talking about where'd you go, Bernadette? Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm doing great today. I'm so excited. It's my first junket. How are you? Well, I'm so happy to be talking to you. You are a shining bright light. In the cinematic Aww. spectrum, Emma, I expect I'm sure we're gonna see great things from you. You are you're just amazing in this film. Thought to me. Thank you. That's that's what I hope that I mean, that's the best reaction I could have asked for. This is very sweet, thank you. Um, you know, but the big question here is have you managed to stay on the honor society list and keep up your schoolwork? Yes, I actually, I have. I finished last semester with a 4.0, so. Very, and that's even with filming a movie with playing Kate Blanchett's daughter? Yeah, I, school's very important to me, so it was, it's, um, it, it's, it's really important for me to keep that up. Well, and I got that sense in watching your performance as B, um, because you can't just pretend to be somebody that's studious and intelligent. And the whole time I'm watching your performance, I kept thinking, this is one really intelligent girl in real life. You are so amazing, so convincing on screen. And I hope that any teenagers that see you in this role, it's going to make them want to study and be smart and care about the friends they pick. You really, you're just amazing. I mean, I would say that B and I are similar in, in the way that we care about school. I mean, obviously, this is my passion, but I, I, I have, you know, helped people, too. It, 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 so thank you. I'm glad that comes across yeah. on screen. <laughs> you know, how did you even get this role? Because here you are, you're in Chicago, you're not out there making films every day, and here Richard Linklater comes looking 
for someone to play Kate's daughter? How? Uh, well, I I, lo- I loved acting. I really wanted to get into film or TV, you know, mainly film. But I've been auditioning for a couple of years, sending off auditions all the time, working really hard at it. And this particular audition just seemed to click. It was I, I connected a lot with the material um, because I, I actually submitted an, my first audition for it was a monologue about the Beatles, and I love the Beatles. They're one of my favorite bands ever, and I grew up listening to them. So I I don't know. It was it was something that was unexpected because it was at first another audition, but then I got asked to go for a callback to New York first ever time being in New York and also my first ever real life callback for a real life movie <laughs> obviously it's, it's all that I wanted and it was all I wanted to do and so I read the book and I got to read my lines and read my scene I mean read the scene with Kate and Billy and Rick was there too and after that callback I got told that I had gotten a role about a month later, and less than five days later, I was on to go and shoot. Oh, my God. Now, when you first auditioned, did you know that Billy and Kate were in the film? I knew that Kate was attached to it. Um, I wasn't super familiar with the story at that time mm-hmm. when I sent off my first tape, but I knew that Kate was attached to it. I did not know that Billy was. So, and I love the fact you said you read the book. Um, I love the book. I read the book when it first came out, what, seven, six, seven years ago. And it's so funny. So what do you think of how Richard adapted the book to a script? Because there is a huge chunk in there that he did pull out. Well, you know what? I think that adapting a movie, a book, I mean, to a movie is something that is so difficult. And I think Rick did it seamlessly. I think that he did an amazing job capturing the spirit and the, the, the emotions of the book. You know, just the general spirit of the book. Rather than being so specific or word specific, it was just feeling, you know, mm-hmm. the feeling of Bernadette. And I think that's exactly what he did. And I, I agree with you completely, Emma. Um, and I think what he did leave out from the book the film is much better for it. I, I completely agree. It's much better for it. Now, because this was your first film, how did you go about, how was your daily routine while you were filming? Well, it was, it was fun. I mean, it's what I love to do, so I had no problem just jumping right into it. And everybody was very accommodating for me if I had any questions. Um, but it was, on a day-to-day basis, I would kind of just, Whatever my call time was, I would uh, pick us up from an apartment, my mom and I, um, or my dad and I, whoever was staying with me in Pittsburgh, because we filmed most of it in Pittsburgh. And a car would pick us up. We'd go to set, a location, wherever we were for that day. I'd get in hair and makeup, and then I'd get dressed, and then we would go and film. I would occasionally have some time, some breaks for lunch, and then I would have days off here and there. But I was looking, um, it, was, it depended on the week. But I, I, it would be, you know, full days of, of filming, and I loved nothing more than that, you know. <laughs> Occasionally I would get tired, but I just, I love what I do. I love what I do, and so it was, it was 
Now, you know, for your first time on a feature film set, you know, a lot of younger actors, uh, they're, you're fasc they're fascinated with the cinematographer, the editors, and what the other department people are doing. Did you get a chance to investigate any of that? Or did you pretty much just concentrate on your on your performance? Oh, I actually, you know what? I maybe it's a good thing to say that I focused on my performance, but I really definitely did explore around. I was always wandering around <laughs> set, looking at talking to everybody. I talked to everybody on set. Like I maybe probably disrupted a few people's words, but I would go and talk to props. I was I made I had a really good friend who's an on set photographer and I still keep in touch with him to this day. His name's Wilson. I just I would talk to everybody about their jobs because I thought it was so interesting. I mean acting is you know, obviously what I love about film making, but there are other regions of film that are just as interesting. Mm -hmm. so I did. I, I totally did. So what's the most interesting thing that you learned in talking to all the other people on set? I learned about how many components it takes to put together a film because it is shocking. It's just like I never knew how much went into a single film or even a single scene. Like there are so many people it takes so many people to put a film together. It is not just the actors and directors. It is everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the the third act of the film, where everybody's on the boats, everybody's in quote-unquote Antarctica. Now, much of that was filmed outside of British Columbia and Greenland. Did you get to go and actually be on the water, or was it all done CGI in studio? None of it was CGI. The water scenes were all real. Everything was completely real. It was filmed in Greenland on a boat. I was asked, and if you ever see me on the Zodiac, if you see on a, on a boat or anybody in the water, that is 100% real. The boats were real. Film was real. Like the, um, I think there are a couple shots of like icebergs and things like that. It's all from Greenland, which is I think is pretty amazing. We all went there. Um, I think it was Kate, Billy, Troyan, and I went to Greenland together um, with all, all the crew, and we filmed all of our Antarctica scenes there. Some of the interiors were featured, but most of the outdoor was all shot of, you know, real, real locations. Now, was this your first time being out on boats before, or had you been on boats I've been on boats in my lifetime, but this is my first time in freezing water filming <laughs> movie on, you know, it was so horribly cold, um, but it was, it was pretty fun. We were all bundled up, so it, the cold wouldn't get to me until like maybe 30 minutes in. I'd start feeling a little nippy, but um, yeah, this it was my first time on like a, I, I've been on like a cruise before, but mm -hmm. nothing that was not a, not a vacation. Uh, and this certainly was different from a vacation and different location than the Caribbean. Well, I, I would say so, and at least in the Caribbean, you're not going to get a little nippy after 30 minutes. No, and it was like, I, I say nippy after 30 minutes, I mean like I started feeling the cold after 30 minutes. You know, like I'd get out there and you know you're in the cold, you know you're going to feel it, but you're still bundled up. But then your body heat escapes, <laughs> and then you start have to face it, you have to face that. So it was kind of a challenge to focus on the scene and acting while you're also focusing on trying to keep yourself warm while everything is happening. And it's, it's, it's you know, hard enough to 
focused, especially in challenging scenes, which I remember this one scene we did outside on the deck of the boat. I was just, I was freezing. And I remember Rick was barely even wearing, I was wearing like snow pants and he was just wearing a jacket. He was like on a bed. I don't know. It was, it was just funny because Billy and I, it was a scene with Billy and I and we were out sitting on the deck of the boat and it was, it was so cold. I wanted to go inside. That was the one scene that I think I had the most trouble concentrating on. I just wanted to go inside and get warm. Yeah. Now, when you and Billy are actually in the smaller little boat zipping towards the shore, was Billy actually steering that boat? Yes, he was 100% steering the boat. He was, um, I, there's a scene that is shot from above, and those are stunt, when they crash into the shore, those right. are stunt doubles, but Billy had to learn how to steer a Zodiac, um, and there's a clip, I think, that is shown in the trailers of... Billy and I the Zodiac, and he is 100% hearing that. So props to him, because I was terrified, and it took me a while to get comfortable on it. So how exciting is it for you that here you are in your first film, you get to go to Greenland, you get to see icebergs, you get to be in a Zodiac with Billy steering it, fingers crossed, um, but then you also get to experience having a stunt double. Oh, yeah. that was It was weird. I was She was really sweet. But I have a picture with her when she has they had, they had like a wig made. It was it was really cool. You know, now you also, besides all this fun up in Greenland, and you're making me jealous. I wish I had been there for this. Because um, it sounds like a lot of fun. Cold, but a lot of fun. You have all of these great scenes playing opposite Kate. And you also get some really juicy scenes opposite Kristen Wiig. You're, here you are, you have two of these incredible actresses. One who is really known for her comedy skills. Another who, she's got Oscars and all kinds of fun stuff. What was that like for you, working with them? Did you pick up any tips from them? Did they help inform your performance? What was that experience? Absolutely. They inform my performance. Working opposite esteemed actors like Kate and Kristen, who are both amazing women and amazing actors, um, it, it just it makes my job, you know, like I love acting, but acting with people like them are it, it just it makes it makes things so much more interesting because they put so much into their characters that it just it, it was all the better. And I definitely did learn a lot from from Kate on set. And it, it wasn't like specific little, you know, things that she said, but it was more how she put so much thought into her work that, that I could observe. And it was really like a master class that I just got to be alongside these amazing actors and learn from them. I've got to ask you, Emma, B is such an important character in this film, and particularly the way Rick has written it. Um, because B is the go-between. She's the glue that really still keeps her parents connected. So how, you know, what did you learn about yourself in tackling a role with this much gravitas that you'll now be able to take forward into your future performances? It was a great experience, and that's a great question. Um, I, I really feel that I learned a lot from playing B because she's a great girl, and she has a lot of, I, I would say that she's like some of the best parts of myself I see in B. And so I, I would really say that I learned a lot about 
my relationship with my parents through analyzing a completely separate relationship with her parents. And, you know, I, I would read some of the lines and be like, I should be saying this stuff to my own parents. You know, and it was it was something that, like, coming together, falling apart in a family unit and then coming back together was something that made me think about my relationship with not only my parents, but I mean, people in general. And as he grows up in this movie, you know, this it's a bridge between him becoming a, a young adult from a child also made me think about myself. So it was it was a really in, introspective thing for me. And that was Emma Nelson who is currently co-starring in Richard Linklater's newest film, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? She plays the character of B, daughter to Kate Blanchett's Bernadette uh, and Billy Crudup's LG. Um, it's a wonderful film. And besides being beautiful with high production values, Emma truly, truly, she is the glue that holds the film together. It is because of the character of B that we have connective tissue between Bernadette and the world and Bernadette and her husband. Uh, so I can't recommend it highly enough. And be on the lookout for Emma Nelson because she has a bright, bright future ahead of her. Now we're going to shift here to another young talent, Anna Panowski. A lot of you may know her from the comedy Pen15, the Hulu series, or from the drama The Hot Zone uh, on Nat Geo. Uh, Anna is another amazing young actress. And now here she is on the big screen playing opposite Casey Affleck in Light of My Life. Um, it's an, it's, her performance is engrossing, as is the whole film, thanks to the human dynamic that it extends to an, an even greater intensity between a father and a daughter uh, that's associated with this new world order that has happened. A disease struck the world that was killing women and girls. Uh, Anna plays Rag, uh, Casey Affleck's daughter in the film, but she's dressed to look like a boy. Her hair is chopped up to look like a boy. When I say chopped up, I mean chopped up, and you're going to get to hear Anna talk about the hair debacle. Um, but the film on the whole is very thoughtfully constructed from script to screen. Um, and the arc of Anna's character of Rag and what she brings in terms of her eyes and her physical nuance speaks volumes. Uh, and her watching her go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Casey is amazing. She has this confidence, wise beyond her years, and somewhat precocious element that she brings to Rag. And there are so many moments that every teen and preteen out there and parent are going to relate to that is just so much a, I know, Dad. Um, we've all been there. We all know it. Daughters know how to work that really well, too. Uh but it adds some humor into what is a very tense world, uh, of a world of uncertainty. An introspective film, the solitude and quiet is deliberate and thoughtful. Uh, just amazing, amazing film from Casey Affleck and Anna's performance. So take a listen to what Anna Panowski had to say in our exclusive interview with her talking light of my life. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Well, I am very happy to be talking to you this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. 
Well, you should be doing great with this movie of yours that's coming out. What a fabulous performance. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, uh, you had me totally engrossed. Oh my, thank you. The, I mean, the entire film, that opening scene, I actually had to laugh, uh, laugh while I was watching it. Because I so remember myself when I was when I was about eight or nine years old, and I would bother my dad at night and say, "Tell me a story, tell me a story." And then he'd start telling me a story, and he'd go off, and it wasn't like a real story. And then I start closing <laughs> my eyes, and he'd go, "Are you awake? Are you awake?" And you took me right back there with the way you were responding to Casey. Thank you. So, I mean, that was a lot of fun to see that. But this whole film boils down to father a father-daughter relationship. When you first got the script, what struck you about it? Because this is really, it's a two-hander. This is the first time you've ever done a film of this nature and with such serious connotations. So I'm curious your take when you first read the script yeah well I mean I was a little intimidated by how much lines I had and you know I knew that Casey is a, a big actor and I was a little nervous but I feel like something that happens whenever you read a script in an active movie is that when you shoot the movie or just see the end product it all comes together and it's just something that you do that. Mm-hmm. What did you think? You know, like, Go ahead. It's like, it's like you're so, you expected it to be good, right? You know, the script's like, oh, gosh, it's good. But then when you, like, act in it, it, just, it comes to life. How much of, of Anna is in the character of Rag and vice versa? You know, I'd say a fair bit. I mean, I like to read. <laughs> um, I love my dad very much. Um, sometimes he can not annoy me, but sometimes we get frustrated a little bit, as does Bragg. Um, I think when I asked, I tried, to, I tried to put a lot of myself into my character to bring the character to life into a real person, you know? Mm-hmm. That you don't see on the I mean, Rag is somebody that is so complete, wise beyond her years, obviously from all the reading that she does, um, but also very intuitive. And this is where your physical performance really comes into play, Anna, because your movement... Your facial expressions, your eyes, the way you'll lower your head or you'll just turn just ever so slightly and give a little glare out of the side of your eye. You know, did you get a lot of rehearsal time or were all of these physical responses just free-flowing as you were in the moment, in the scene? Yeah, I mean, I think... Sometimes I don't even recognize the, the things I do, you know? I just kind of immerse myself into the scene. 
Um, thank you, by the way. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's just part of my job uh, as being an actress. But thank you. I, I, I appreciate that you noticed the little things. I mean, they really, they not only help make the film, but that is what gets us to the end of the film and the whole shift. Because no no longer is Rag totally dependent on Dad. Not that she was anyway. You could tell that. Rag was humoring him a lot of the time. She knew what she was doing. Um, but by the time we get to the you know, to the third act, we see Rag has now taken over the role of care of caretaker. And it's thanks to all those little nuances that you bring to the character that we see this transition happening, happening, happening until all the puzzle pieces come together. And it's really a testament to your skill, Anna, that you that you sustain you. that through the film really well done you know you are thank from, you I, I appreciate that you know you are from canada but even being from can and used to cold but even being from canada and used to cold you're shooting a lot of this in snow you know i'm gonna i'm gonna give the film a little could have this. It was it wasn't as cold as it looked. Okay. Um and I had my little uh uh what are they called? Like my warm up jackets and things like that. And also even if it was a little it got a little cold, <laughs> um which it did at sometimes. But um I think it helped me get into the character, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate that because uh I like to film things uh, so far on, like, real, like, places, you know? Like, not just all on built sets, which is why I really appreciated filming this movie and just real, you know, real forests and real maps and things like that. Mm-hmm. How was it? Because this was also a, this was a very physical film as well. You've got a lot of walking. You are in the snow. You are in the cold. But then you have a lot of semi-action sequences where you're running, where you're being shoved up into an attic, where you're hot going, getting pushed in and out of a fake wall in a closet. How was it? Did you have to, did you have to do any kind of training or anything? Or is this just run-of-the-mill stuff for you? You know, well, um, you know, we had some, sometimes some people would come and talk to me or, you know, like a scene where I followed the window. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I did follow the window, but I'm the person who rolled down. That was a stunt double. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really wish I, I could remember. Um, I apologize, but I think that, um, again, it wasn't as difficult as it looks. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just because, you know, I I got kind of used to it. But I think that's just part of the acting is sometimes you have to do some really hard actions or sometimes you have to run around and hide things and all that crazy stuff. You know, it's interesting. The, the work that you, I mean, everybody pretty much knows you from Pen15, a comedy. And then those of yeah. us lucky enough to have seen Hot Zone were, I mean, 
based on the true story of the Ebola virus, and you played Juliana Margulies' daughter. Um, two extremes. Now we have another extreme here. Are you, are you figuring out, do you have a preference for doing comedy, doing these heavier dramatic roles? Because here, you're not even a supporting player with Light of My Life. You are equal with Casey. This film does not exist without you. A frame does not exist without you. So you are truly a co-lead with Casey in this one. So I'm curious if you're developing an affinity. Do you prefer doing comedies, dramas, or a two-hander like this? What's your take so far? You know, a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, what do I prefer? I actually don't really have that big of a preference, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think, in my opinion, it all depends on the script. You know, if the script is good, if the lines are good, that makes me able to perform well. So I don't have a preference. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, learn to like something more than the other in the future, but for now, I like everything equally. Mm-hmm. And what about film versus a series? Because a film, you get in, you do it all, you get out. Whereas with a series, you really get to hang around, develop the character, you know, in multiple episodes. Do you do you prefer one or the other? You know, it's it's funny because I, if, in those ways, I love them both equally. It's like I'm choosing between dogs. My, I have two dogs that I love so much. <laughs> But, um, you know, uh, in terms of filming a TV series, it's, it's really nice because sometimes it breaks and things like that. You know, you have, like, some days off and you get to, like, it's a, a longer shoot, but you're not filming every day. Whereas if you're filming a film, um, you have to, you're, like, immersing yourself in the role. You get it done and, like, the light of my life took two and a half months. You get it done, and then it's just, you did it. So, I don't know. In both ways, I really do like it. Mm -hmm. It depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> And there's a little bit more to go with our exclusive with Anna Panowski. And if we have time at the end of the show, we'll get back to it. Otherwise, you will find it on BehindTheLensOnline.net and a few other places out there. But right now, we are going to welcome writer, director, producer, Sam Zalowski. How are you, Sam? Welcome. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm doing great. I am, I am thrilled to be talking to you here, especially after watching Seaside. What? Oh, uh, number one, you. you had me with your opening visuals. Right oh, there. Yeah. Ab Absolutely. Your cinematography just captures immediately. Qu who is it? Quentin uh, Chapetta? Chapetta? Uh, Quint Quentin's actually uh, sound, our sound designer. And then Phil Anderson's um, the cinematographer. Exactly, exactly. And, and he's a Portland local, and he's super talented, and uh, it was a pleasure to work with him. So uh, I'm really excited that you responded to the visuals. The visuals, from the opening, we have the sea, and that light of the Portland area, and the gray overcast that kind of at one point melds into the sea, but you see the white caps as the, as the water breaks. Mm -hmm. And then you're doing lovely mm -hmm. cuts and dissolves into vibrant greens of foliage. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. you really get us in tune with the beauty of nature, the calming Thank effect you. of nature. And then you jump into this story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really wanted to look at the sort of, I mean, the Oregon coast where we shot is a really incredibly beautiful place, but it's also not um, the most hospitable place. I think with incredible, you know, the rough ocean and these crazy uh, cliffs and mountains that go into the sea and trees that are sort of blo- always blown and battered back by the wind. It's really this place of what I call dangerous beauty. That sort of was my my theme and entry into the story was that uh, thin line between beauty and danger. Um, so that was, you know, and also sort of the natural world and our, and our hidden nature was a lot of what I was looking at. Well, and it really comes comes through. But also what you do with your editing a lot of the nature that we're seeing in transition, uh, service transitions uh, between mm-hmm. uh, the, the quote-unquote action or the story as it's unfolding. Mm-hmm. But it's also time to, we will see at one point where we have great turmoil between Daphne, Roger, and Susanna. Uh-huh. There's all kinds of things uh-huh. happening here. And the sea is ver- <laughs> it's very rough. Mm-hmm. And you can tell mm-hmm. a storm is brewing off the coast. A storm is coming in, and mm-hmm. then something happens, and we're not going to reveal what that is. But something, okay, thank you. No spoilers. No spoilers. But then something happens, and the next thing we see is a very calm sea, very calm, mm-hmm. and the sun is even starting to break out some. And I just found that mm-hmm. editing that just is so perfectly gelled right there and this happens in a couple other instances as well you put a Mm -hmm. lot of time and thought into crafting this story i thank you i did you know movies take a long time to do uh not a lot of time to think about it but i really wanted to um to do that and give it the uh give it the time it needed. You know, it's a thriller. There's lots of twists and turns. So how to make those all believable and keep that energy going and the audience involved, that was definitely um, part of it. And also just, you know, working with performing characters, how to keep them all engaged um, and energized as characters um, and keep turning that story. So there was new revelations at each turn. That was a lot of it, too. Mm-hmm. Where did the idea for this story start what was the what was the genesis of this yeah um well i wanted to do sure my first feature you belong to me was a psychological horror movie yes it was um and it, it got this and i was really excited about it and then it was sort of like trying to do bigger projects and while trying to do those and also you know was thinking how can i do projects that uh, on more limited resources and I and I've been going to this spot on the Oregon coast all my life it's beautiful like I said it has this dangerous beauty um, and I thought that would be a really stunning backdrop for any type of story so then it was like okay how do you do that on a limited budget um, my family has a beach house there we could crash there with the cast and crew what then what what is this story what does this location lend itself to and again the dangerous beauty like that it appears quite serene and peaceful on the outside, but underneath there's all this turmoil. 
And that really was a lot, you know, what I think as storytellers are always thinking about is like, why do people do what they do, right? There's never, it's not always obvious. And so how does the past influence the present? How does what's underneath the surface influence what's outside? Um, so then it was like how to do it with as few characters as possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, these twists and turns of a good thriller, sort of investigating why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and another thing that you also do is you've got that that great uh, the rock formations and and the cave mm. there, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. it's fabulous metaphor for the secrets that we are not Thank privy you. to until way into the third act before we really get right. to find out what is the darkness uh, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is that is underneath the surface, and I just love that metaphor with the cave and. You know, everybody, they're standing on the edge. We're half in the darkness, half in the light. Right. Um, So very, very well done there. You know, and you mentioned your your cast. What is this? All these Broadway talents in your (laughs) cast. Uh, Ariana DeBose, Matt Shingledecker, Stephanie Lee. What in what Mm. is going on here? Did you just go to Broadway and just kidnap people? Exactly. You, you, you. No, we were looking at a, a bunch of different people uh, with my casting director, Jordan, and he recommended Ariana, and I kind of I knew who she was and some of her work and, you know, um, sort of watched more of her clips and just thought she was so incredible, so smart and really interesting and thoughtful, and uh, we met and had a great time and hit it off, and, you know, she proved to be the triple threat that she is. Um, and then he also had worked with Matt Jingledecker before and knew Steffi's work and, you know, just thought it would be fun to give people the opportunity to sort of stretch and do something different and show the incredible range that they have. Um, Steffi is from Southern Oregon, so that was a nice little twist. But, um, you know, it was great to get to work with them. And like I said, they just, they're such incredible artists that they were able to easily, without any problems, adapt to filmmaking um, from the Broadway stage. And also Sharon Washington, who plays Ariana's mother, such mm-hmm. an incredible talent. I mean, she's done everything. So, you know, that was just really fun to get to work with them. You know, and for, and for the listeners that, that don't recognize who these people are, Ariana is probably the most well-known to most people. She played Disco Donna in uh, the, the mm-hmm. Broadway musical on Donna Summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was nominated for a Tony for that. And then, and then Matt Shingledecker has been around forever. I mean, from Wicked West Side Story, Les Miserables, uh, he is very a very recognizable talent. Um, I mean, you mm-hmm. really, you really picked the cr- some of the cream of the crop here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were really right for these roles, and they brought all they had to it. And um, you know, again, I think they enjoyed playing these twists and turns. Of mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know the depths in these characters, and that was really fun. Well, something uh, something else, and I'm sure, and I think this this could possibly be something that also led each of your actors to have an interest, an added interest in the project. Mm-hmm. Is this could very easily be translated to the stage? Mm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> this could. Yeah. We this... could have the musical version with them singing and dancing. <laughs> no, well, we don't even need it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even. That would be interesting. Sure. That would be interesting. Right. But right. I could see this. Yeah. I could see this playing mm. out as a drama on stage. Mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah, uh, that's fun. I hadn't thought about that. You know, it because you do have a minimal cast and because mm-hmm. what drives the story are the twists and turns, which are all done right. through exposition. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's done through mm-hmm. your expository yeah. dialogue. So uh-huh. this very easily, you know, could translate and be a multimedia, mm-hmm. a multimedia production mm-hmm. here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You I know, love that idea. Why not? Uh, yeah. You know, Why not? Hey, we, ev- everyone else is doing it. You might as well, too. Exactly. We could have, you know, big projections on the stage showing the uh, dramatic cliffs of, or- of the Oregon coast. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, another element yeah. of this film that I just, I am so in love with is your sound design. The uh, mm. Quentin's work with the sound design, we hear the surf. And the surf Mm-hmm. It's almost a constant. It's almost a mm-hmm. constant mm-hmm. Under, underscore or undertow through mm-hmm. the entire mm-hmm. film, just ranging mm-hmm. in decibels. And then you've mm-hmm. got your mm-hmm. Megan Diana McGeorge's score is layered in with that. But we hear yeah. birds, we hear leaves, we hear wind. Uh-huh. It, mm-hmm. We really, it's very sensory watching this thank you thanks yeah i definitely worked with quentin a lot on doing to make the and you know again it's about nature and our true nature and so what does nature sound like and and how to make that you know and not just a shot of a of a mountain or a tree but like how to make everything all the um aspects of it come into play including the birds and the water and the wind and the footsteps all of that and then you know Megan's music. I love her music. I love her sound. I just randomly met her in New York, but she lives in Portland. Um, and I was like, she's, you know, she's kind of close to the same age as Daphne, the protagonist. Mm-hmm. She lives in the same city. She has this incredible sound. And that, too, I wanted it to feel very layered and feel like it was coming from, you know, inside Daphne's head almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, this is definitely this is definitely a POV. This film is a POV mm-hmm. uh, from Daphne, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it jockeys a little bit in one or two places, but it's really from Daphne's perspective that we're seeing this story uh-huh. unfold, and uh-huh. I, I think it's fair to say that we get to see what a schmuck the, the character of Roger really is. <laughs> hey, he's, no he's, comment. No, no no, yeah. no con, yeah. but he's, you know, okay, he is not the yeah. best boyfriend in the world. Let's face it. No. Right. He's definitely an entitled bad boy. I, I agree. Not yeah. The best, yeah. Uh, not, be- not the best person. No. And, and then you have these interesting layers from, with Daphne and Susanna that unfold mm-hmm. as, as the, as the mm-hmm. story unfolds. I'm curious for you. As you were writing this, with this great character construction, were you mm-hmm. also planning out your pacing at that time? Because your pacing is so key here uh, mm-hmm. in terms of maintaining that tension, building that tension, getting that pot boiling before revealing things. Mm-hmm. So as you're structuring the dialogue, I'm curious if you were pacing this out at the same time and how you would be achieving this directorially yeah definitely 
definitely. I mean, I think it went, there were many drafts and it's kind of like starting with a big block of marble and pulling away and hopefully, you know, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away all in all the years all around us and hopefully coming up with something beautiful at the end. So, you know, setting up the story and the dialogue um, and the pacing throughout was a part of it. And I think it was a lot of an act of pulling away and we're pulling Mm -hmm. out and and, um, taking out so that there wasn't as much exposition. Um, you know, one thing that thrillers do a lot is they have a lot of flashbacks to explain mm-hmm. what happens and why people are acting the way they're acting, and I try to keep that all in the present and just to keep the forward momentum going. Mm-hmm. And you definitely succeed in doing that, which just contributes to the building of the tension because we see actions occurring and we're not sure where they're coming from, but we know they're coming. Mm-hmm. Something has predicated them. And, mm-hmm. you know, you keep us on tenor hooks, building that up as, as to what, what's happening. You know, what for you as a director, did you find, was there anything particularly challenging about bringing Seaside to life? That's a really good question. I mean, there's challenges all along the way. Um, I think the hardest part, a few hard challenges were finding a great local producer. Um, and Alyssa Reisberg, who produced it out of Portland, uh, was the perfect person for it. She knew the crew. She knew the locations, how to deal with all the vendors and the, you know, the state. We got a lot of help from Oregon. So took a long time, but once I did, I was really confident that, uh, she could make it all work. Um, I think in production, it was very limited uh, resources. So, and limited time. I think we only had 18 days. Um, and we, like you said, we were shooting in a cave. I, when I wrote that cave scene, I never really thought about that. Like the tides are there, and you know, water coming into the cave, and you know, how are we going to put up lights in a cave? That was when my um, imagination was running wild and I did not definitely have my producer home. Um, <laughs> so how to make those, those logistical uh, problems work in, you know, in real time while shooting um, was another big challenge. I think after that, you know, the shoot itself otherwise went really well. We had a really fun time. We had a lot of um, generous support from the locals in the area. Um, but I think that sort of dealing with the uh, natural world was a challenge. Well, I can honestly say, Sam, that in my 32-plus years as a film critic and all the thousands of interviews I've done, you were the first director I have ever spoken with where the tides have been, uh, have been a shooting problem. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly, yeah. You, yeah. you know, I get lighting. directors... Yeah, you know, I get yeah. lighting issues last week. Uh, Lisa Revan was on talking about she was just shooting in Iceland where uh, during the time where it was wow. light 24 mm. seven and what mm-hmm. that did to her shoot. Uh, but yeah. the, the tides, I really like this. <laughs> I, I, I really I, I'm, I find this quite entertaining that you actually yeah. had to deal with the tides. Oh, yeah. And we were such a tiny crew that we had to, you know, lug the, and the cave was about probably half a mile, three quarters of a mile from the nearest parking lot. So we had to just push all our equipment and carry it on the sand. And, you know, everyone, small crew, everyone helped, you know, reached in to help and carry something. And, 
you know, we were very wary of like, okay, we got two hours to shoot this and then we got to run because that's when the water starts coming in. So, you know, it was really exciting is one word and challenging. Um, I think it looks great and I probably won't write another uh, tidal cave scene um, for the rest of my career. (laughs) And you, you also make great use of the rocky areas there on the coast as Mm -hmm. well. And Mm -hmm. there are some scenes in the way that you and Phil have shot them that really, it takes your mind in one direction in a what if scenario. Mm. Uh And that also just adds to, you know, that also helps fuel your tension Uh, and the, Uh and the simmer as to what's going to happen and to whom. Right. Um, Yeah. Because that's one of the great things that I love with this film is we aren't sure what's going to happen to who. Or, you know, not only are we not sure what is going to happen, but to whom something's going to happen. And that's Mm -hmm. a a Mm -hmm. really delicate balance. That's a fine line to walk. Yeah, we were thinking about, I mean, that was, again, a big challenge in terms of storytelling, how to not give away too much. And how to work with the, you know work with these actors who sort of knew what their characters were going to do or what might happen to them, but not let them reveal too much. And so, you know, we had a lot of discussions about that. It was really, um, it was a fun, fun thing to think about. And you know, how far could we push a scene to reveal something? But then also, like you're saying, these locations are really dramatic and hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, support what's going on internally for these characters as well. So I appreciate you noticing that. You know, I'm curious, Sam, because of the delicacy of keeping, you know, withholding as long as possible and because the script is structured and because you're working with the elements adding their own storytelling layer here, how much improv or ad-libbing was the cast allowed to do or was this pretty much we're sticking to the dialogue in the script? Uh Uh-huh. Um, I think a lot of times what happened is, and this happens in all the work that I do, I think usually is that I feel like if you, if you as an actor are able to portray the, the emotion and the dramatic need of the scene and you can do that without a line, then great, do that. Um, you know, we, we sort of did every scene with the dialogue as written, but then certainly in a lot of moments we're like, oh, try that without it. You know, can mm-hmm. you do an action that reveals that intention? instead of the line. So I'm not a huge stickler for um, dialogue. Uh, I think it's sort of part of the soundtrack um, and sort of supports what's going on with the actors for their needs, their character needs. Um, So, you know, we had some improv, definitely. Um, There's the the, uh, s'mores and and bonfire scene. A lot of that was improv. But, you know, so a lot of us more taking away the dialogue, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Well, the s'mores and bonfire scene—you uh, can't. You're on a beach. Come on, you got you got to be making right. s'mores and bonfires, especially when it's not regulated like the beaches in California. So, exactly. yeah. uh, you know, and that look. Did you shoot that night for night? Yeah, yeah. Because it, yeah. I have to tell you, that scene looks beautiful. The way the camera right. catch, captures the gold, the orange gold uh-huh. of the fire set against uh-huh. the blackening of the wood around it. Really beautiful. Beautiful Thank scene. Just one more. Yeah, that was a fun day. Uh, that I, was a fun day or night. I mean, we sort of, we 
like were going really well during the day, and then it was like the next day was supposed to be stormy. So you know, Alyssa was talking about trying to shoot that bonfire scene the prior day. So we ended up pushing and going long for that day. But I think the next day was terrible weather, and we really lucked out. And it was fun to shoot, even though it was you know uh, overtime day and people worked long hours. Um, we had a lot of fun, and like you said, I think it looked really good, and mm-hmm. it was great to do it night for night, definitely. Yeah, did the weather cause any delays in your 18-day shoot, or did you just, or if inclement weather was coming, you just had to plow through? Yeah, I mean, I think if it was coming, we had to plow through, definitely. I think, we, you know, it's a dark and moody uh, thriller. Yeah. There were definitely some days we were out on the beach that in April and April in Oregon, or you would expect it to be 40s, 50s, rainy, overcast, mm-hmm. and it was 60s, 70s, and sunny, so that was a little bit of a, a challenge that we weren't expecting. But in a way, I think, again, because we were a pretty small crew and we were moving really fast, um, we we were saved because of that, from that weather. Oh, my God. Well, and everybody yeah. now can, can actually see Seaside tomorrow. Comes out digitally exactly. tomorrow. Now, is it on yep. all, all? Gravitas is releasing it. Now, is it coming out on all, all platforms tomorrow, such as VOD and uh, Amazon and every and Hulu uh-huh. and everything? Yeah, tomorrow it comes out on uh, iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, Google Play, Vimeo, um, On Demand. I can't remember all the names. There's a lot of different platforms, but, you know, it's uh, Gravitas Ventures is releasing it. They're doing a great job. We're really excited about that, working with them. And, you know, Seaside Movie... Facebook and Instagram is our handle, so people can find out the specifics there. But it's going to be streamable on a lot of different platforms. Oh, well, Sam, I can't thank you enough for joining me today to talk about Seaside. Uh, I mean, I'm so thrilled to see this because I remember when you did You Belong to Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. You know, Thanks. and that it's was. to be here and talk to you about it. Uh, you know, You Belong to Me. I mean, I love that. I was very disappointed you did not get the Spirit Award. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Maybe yeah. one day. One, uh, hey. On short list, could be nominated, whatever, be for people to <laughs> recognize it. But, you know, it's that you got to keep going, right? And I'm, I'm really happy to have been able to make this movie and great to speak with you about it. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, do you have another movie coming up that you're working on, or are you just going to see how this one plays out for now? Um, I definitely have a few other scripts in various stages of development. Um, uh, a dark comedy that I adapted from a book and a road movie with two women set in Mexico and then, a, and then a, another horror movie that I'm uh, in the earlier stages of. So definitely a lot of projects I'm juggling and seeing what, seeing what comes next. We'll, oh. see. well, whatever you do next, I hope you'll come back on the show and talk about it. This has been so lovely. To. So lovely, Sam. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. And everybody Thank can you. see Seaside tomorrow. Thank you, Debbie. Great to be here. Have a great day. You too, Sam. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. And that was Sam Zaletsky, uh talking about Seaside. And it is, it's beautiful to watch. And it does. It's laden with Broadway talent. And, of course, if you're not familiar with who Ariana DeBose is uh, from Broadway or from this film... She's in the, the Steven Spielberg's West Side Story that's being shot now and is and is coming out. So if you want to get not a sense of who she is, 
Um, this is a great film to start a little primer to see of, of what she may be like in West Side Story. Um, that is all the time we have today. Um, so thank you to Sam uh, again. My interviews with Emma and with Anna, Anna's whole uh, interview, everything will be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net later this week. And just remember, every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, I am right here behind the lens on AdrenalineRadio.com. And hey, if you if you're bored and you got nothing to look at, you can always look at the Facebook live stream during the show because Big Boss Nick likes to play with toys and he likes things like that. Um, and just so you know, Avengers Endgame out on digital now. And this Friday, Angel Has Fallen. We're going to talk about that next week. I'm under embargo until Wednesday, so I have to wait. But so until next week, which is jam-packed, and I think we're doing a 90-minute show, Pam, um, next week. Uh, until then... I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.